0: Hey, welcome to the Pharmacy Residency and Money Podcast, a member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. I'm Tony Guerra, pharmacist and publisher, bringing you help succeeding in your career, health, and wealth before, during, and after residency. You can sign up for the email list at pharmacyresidencypodcast.com to get your free LOI template or get editing help working one-on-one with me at residency.teachable.com. Hey, welcome to the Pharmacy Residency Podcast, a member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Today, I have Joe Baker, uh, who is the author of Baker's Dirty Dozen Principles for Financial Independence. You may have heard him on your financial pharmacist, but I wanted to ask him how uh, he could help residents and other pharmacists that are graduating. Uh, He earned his MBA and spoke at APHA, and I think he's going to be a a great addition to the show. So, uh, Joe, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Tony. All
0: right. Well, let's get a little bit of background. if I remember right, there was another relatively famous book uh, about financial uh, independence and the simple path to wealth, where a father was trying to help his daughter uh, do well financially. Um, can you tell me a little bit about the the book and and how you got uh, so into financial independence? Uh, you
1: know, it's it's really an interesting story, but to uh, tell that story, I'll 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 tell you a little uh, uh, minor, more of a minor story. I've taught at the University of Arkansas College of Pharmacy for 24 years, and about 20 years into it, um, I tell a lot of stories in class, and the students come back from years later, and and they don't relate necessarily some money formula that I taught in class, but they'll relate a story I told, and um, uh, not to compare myself to Jesus, uh, but, you know, Jesus did that. He told a lot of stories, and um, uh, so... uh, that's what sticks with people. So, uh, several students and former students said, you know, you really need to write a book. So <clears throat> this was the, uh, the precursor right before COVID. And, and I said, um, this might be a good time to, to do this. So I, I wrote the book. It, it wasn't published yet, did it all on my own. I thought I was really proud of myself and, and my daughters who are very cautious about me know that I can, uh, sometimes say things that are inappropriate or tell a story that's a little off color. And since my book is filled with stories, my oldest daughter Lindsay said, dad, I'm coming home for, um, a Christmas vacation and I want to read your manuscript before you publish it. And I said, that's okay. Cause I, you know, I don't always get the grammar right. And she's excellent in, in, in uh, the writing and, and, and grammar and all that. So she, um, uh, during Christmas break, she s- sat down and she would uh, read part of the book, and then she'd just t- fall on the floor laughing about some of the stories. And she said, "Dad, that's a great story, but you cannot tell that story." And I said, "Oh, okay." So she would either <laughs> modify a story or delete a story. And then when we got into the heart of the book on the financial matters, she said, "Dad, I don't, I don't understand." this section on opportunity cost or um, uh, stocks or something like that. And I said, what do you mean you don't understand? This book is designed for your age group. She says, well, I'm sorry. I just don't understand it. So we would go and we literally did paragraph by paragraph uh, of the manuscript. I would, uh, she would read it. And she said, I don't understand that. So I would explain it to her or do my best then she would rewrite it and tell it back to me and I'd say yes that's right and and we did that throughout the book and it she did such a great job and it it, it just flows so much better and wrote so much that I had to write uh put her down as a co-author and uh uh a little side note on that, one day, I, I can't tell you how many times I read through the manuscript, and I was sitting at the kitchen table, and I am getting up New Year's, and I said, out loud, I said, you know, this is really, really good here, but I don't remember writing this, and my daughter, hearing that, piped up and said, well, you did, and I did. And <laughs> I, said, I knew at that point I had to name her as as co-author, and the book is filled with stories, and she made sure they were all appropriate, uh, and they're all true stories. I have over 33 contributors uh, to the book tell, telling me their stories and relating in the book, because that's that's how we can really um, uh, apply financial matters um, into our life, is to hear other people's stories, and if we can learn from others' mistakes or some uh, uh, good tips, and then that's that's what i tried to do in the
0: book. All right, well, let's go through uh 13 but kind of uh we we make a little bit of a twist here. Okay. So, h- how did you and how did your daughters find the path that will fulfill them because that's where you you started out and uh for us as pharmacists, we started, you know, in pharmacy, but uh that doesn't necessarily fulfill you. It might. Uh but right. but how do you kind of offset these tuitions that students are paying these days compared to what I, so what I paid was I had $900 a year for tuition for undergrad and then 4,000 a year for, uh, grad. So, right. Yeah. How do
1: you do it? Well, (laughs) uh, I'm going to end up telling another story, but uh, you know what? It, it drive stories drive the uh, drive uh, drive audiences. I just, so I just heard a um, couple of months ago some guy, and I wish I could uh, remember his name and what he had said, but he said, you know, so, sometimes we give the, um, the young folks some uh, uh, some guidance that is not exactly right by telling them follow their passion, follow their passion. What we should do is have them find out what they're really good at, and then go down that avenue, then they'll find their passion in what they're doing. And that is um, so true. I wanted to major in history because that's my passion. Uh, So I minored in history and went down the path of business. And now I'm able to to travel and and do a lot more in the history area. And my daughter, the co-author, Lindsay, when she uh, went off to college, she said, um, uh, I said, Lindsay, what are you going to major in? And she said, well, I'm thinking about majoring or I'm not thinking about it. I'm going to major in Christian studies. And I said, Oh boy. <laughs> I said, that's great for eternity, but what about the here and All now? Right. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> that's a, that's a typical dad. And I know that's short sighted, uh, but you know, she did got a great education. And then, um, to make herself marketable, she, uh, went out and got her master. She taught in Istanbul, Turkey, and the West Bank of, uh, Palestine, uh, in Israel, and really found her love in teaching. So to make herself, um, uh, uh, what we call certifiable, uh, mm-hmm. she, um, uh, she decided to, um, uh, get her master's in in education. And she did. And now she uh, teaches both English and history on the middle school level and enjoys it. So that was a a, a kind of a circuitous route to uh, where she is today. But she just, she found her passion. She found out what she was good at. And um, so, (sighs) Everything needs to be uh, held uh, with a grain of uh, salt on on your avenue that you're taking. And education is so expensive. Um, And I say you can follow your passion as long as you're not taking out huge student loans to do it. Um, Because there, and I'm not even going to go into the uh, certain majors out there degree (laughs) uh, that um, that's kind of ridiculous to. You know, borrow $150,000 when you get out, and the most you can make is 35 dollars 40, $45,000. I'm sorry, that's just not economically feasible. And that comes from a uh, dad talking there. Um, but the nice thing about pharmacy, and as you well know, uh, it, the education does pay off. Uh, it is just, and I tell uh, my students, I said, you know, never in the history of our country that I know of that have. Uh, a group of young people your age have made this, this much money at this early uh, in their career. So uh, hats off to the pharmacy students and, um, and you can find your passion. There are just so many avenues of pharmacy, retail, hospital, clinical, um, teaching and education. They're just, just about any area that you've, Think that you can find your passion and that you're good at you you can do that with pharmacy uh that's why it's such a, a a great benefit
0: all right well you actually answered the first three you you got the path that will fulfill you um in your book you talk about the the vision goals and that you know you guys have the same goals so maybe um how did your how did you and your spouse um kind of Differ, or were you the same when she said this is my major? You had your opinion, and then how did you and your spouse come together? As okay, we'll keep paying for that, or was it like whatever she wants to do? Or because I, I, I'm assuming that maybe you were paying part of the the tuition uh, or not.
1: Well, it wasn't part. We paid it all. Um, <laughs> I know. I know. And, and maybe if I'd had sons, I'd have made them go out and work. But we've always, whether it's right or not, I don't know. We said, you know, your education is your job. And as long as you're making good grades, we're not going to require you to have a job. And fortunately, um, both my kids, uh, even though they went to private um, uh, undergraduate and one of them went to Vanderbilt as a master's, and now at UCLA getting her PhD, not uh, one dollar in student loans. So, and I've told people I say if you're not borrowing any money um, for student loans for your education, it gives you more leeway in following your passion. So, at that point, I said, you know, uh, my wife and I said, hey, it's not. You know we're not borrowing any money for this um, particular degree so let's just see how it falls out and it and it did work out but um, I'm ashamed to say that I was not a big fan of the degree at the time but uh, well, as it turned out it it worked out.
0: Well, you got a history degree I got an English degree and so it it' it all does work out and you you talk about education as an appreciable item. Uh, but it sounds like uh, you can go overboard uh, where now your, your ROI is limited. It is. Well, let, let's talk about the time value of money then, because what what really happens when you get those student loans is that you're in that kind of quandary of, should I invest? Should I buy a house? Uh, all of these things. So first, could you explain time value of money in the way you did that you moved from the way you had explained it first to the way that you had explained it after your daughter's edits? Uh, and then talk a little bit about how students today that are maybe not making a lot of money in residency can at least get in, gain an appreciation for the time value of money.
1: Well, and my the definition I use for time value money is not the Investopedia uh, uh, definition. I look at it as more as opportunity cost uh, mm-hmm. because I'll use the example of residency, you know. Is it going to be uh, financially feasible for me to um, uh, get paid, what is it, 50% in residency, of um, getting out 40 or 50%? It, it, something it's like about that? a third or half, somewhere around there. Okay. Yeah. Well, and, and you look at that and say, well, I know there's an economic factor here, uh, but there's also a factor that I need a residency because there's just some areas I want to go into that you've got to have a residency. And you can answer mm-hmm. that better than I can. I think in in education and some clinical areas that you have to have that. So, uh, I, I know that um, opportunity cost, which all that is, is if you make a decision today, an economic decision. Uh, what could, if you'd have made a different decision, how much would that cost you down the road? But there are other factors um, in that. And so I, when I look at the time value of money, I always think about opportunity cost. Um, Okay. So it could have been.
0: Okay, so let's talk about the getting that actual money or keeping it. So let's talk about saver versus spender. I feel like we're kind of born one way or the other. My wife is the saver. I'm the spender, uh, to some extent. Uh, But we have both. We are both out of credit card debt, all consumer debt. We pay cash for our cars and all that stuff now. But those kind of go hand in hand. I think we just crossed the $1 mark in credit card debt in our country. Um, Tell me a little bit about ways that maybe those that that are not necessarily natural savers have been able to save and succeed, uh, and how do they stay out of credit card debt?
1: Well, I, uh, I think a lot of it has to do with just educating yourself and knowing which way to go. One of the things that I'm really proud of my daughter's and if, if everyone could at least have this idea that no matter what your credit card balance is each month, you pay it off. Uh, mm-hmm. and they have never um, – yeah, they've always paid off their, their credit card balance each month. And I know Dave Ramsey says you shouldn't even have credit cards and all that. Right. But I, I just don't think that's um, feasible this day and time. Can't rent a vehicle uh, without one, et cetera. And um so they um they're very good at that. And I think it's just part of educating ourselves and whether it's going through a, a Dave Ramsey Peace University class to have that awareness or just sitting down and just uh, analyzing what the cost yeah, you know, some of these credit cards are 20, 25 percent um finance charges on there. That's it's, you know, it's certain, crazy. Certain parts it's crazy. of Chicago, you if you miss a payment like that, you'll get your knees. <laughs> uh, our, uh, <laughs> if you can guys. get the 25% yeah <laughs> that's right, that's right. <laughs> so um uh but that's the key I, it's um i don't even know who to attribute this to but i've always said uh, i've heard it someplace and i'm borrowing it but it's not how much you make it's how much you keep right and boy I'm t- you're talking about credit card if you can pay off your balance each month and get to the point where you can pay cash for your vehicle because you talk about the biggest obstacle to wealth accumulation, and we're talking about vehicles. Um, it's just it's it's crazy how much that that the vehicles cost over time. And uh, at least if you can pay cash, and we have, uh, uh, gosh, I, I guess we've been married. Uh, I better figure that out pretty quick because we got a an anniversary coming up. So thirty five plus. See, we uh, 37 plus years we haven't had a um, a a our car note and um and and don't be fooled if even if it's 0% financing there there's a cost there there's a hidden cost so uh, okay so anyway
0: well let's let's ask about that so you you sent them and took care of the tuition Did you send them to college with cars that you paid for when they were teenagers or how did you handle that?
1: No, as a matter of fact, uh, that I told them, I said, listen, they wanted to go to a private school, of course. And, uh, it was going to cost a whole lot more. And I said, here's the deal. You can go to the private undergraduate school, but you're not going to have a vehicle. And, um, uh, there's an interesting story on that, uh, one of my uh, daughter's uh, good friends from college, they were roommates. And she told us years later, 10 or 12 years later, and and she said, you know, we always thought Lindsay and Brooke, that's my other daughter, came uh-huh. from a very po- poor family and meager means because they didn't have a vehicle on campus. And it, this was uh-huh. an undergraduate school that, uh, you know, it was um, nice vehicles in the parking lot. And uh, so they just considered them being poor and uh, they were pretty frugal with their money and all that. So that was the deal we made that uh, they wouldn't have a vehicle at least their first two years of college. And then when they did, uh, there was a tornado in Arkansas. Surprise, surprise. And it hit a car lot and I was shopping for a vehicle and and I said, "What about these uh, vehicles over here that were hit by the tornado?" I said, "Oh well." I said, "I, said, I found one. It was a, a Jeep Liberty. Had all four tires blown out. The uh, chain link fence went across the uh, the hood. It looked like it'd been in some kind of uh, demolition." And I said, uh, "And the all the windows were all broken." I said, "How much is this one?" And they looked at me like, "You're an idiot." <laughs> I, oh, no, I have. Uh, uh teenage daughters are in college and um i don't want to have to worry about any dings or scrapes and they made me a deal so that was the vehicle they had so even when they were <laughs> towards the end of college they had an old beat up plunker if you will uh so but you know because of all that you know and we had explained to them about why we're doing what we're doing and they have uh a better appreciation, and it's, they're in their 30s now, and I'm very proud where they are uh, financially, uh, both were liberal arts majors, and one's even getting her PhD, um, and uh, here's another one, as a dad head-scratcher, she's getting a, a PhD in Near Eastern Languages and Cultures, so uh, here you go. So,
0: <laughs> but, but they're paying her to do it, so yes, I, but there, there Actually, is that opportunity are. cost, but yeah,
1: they are, they are, and uh, uh, so um, but she is fluent in Arabic, Spanish, uh, French, and Syriac. So if there's ever a big demand for Syriac, <laughs> for language people, we're in good shape,
0: okay? Well, let's let's go on to what happens after college, and and once you uh, you get that job, and I made this mistake myself and thinking that the match was all I should do, but tell me a little bit about, um, uh, what you feel with savings rates and what's reasonable. I've heard 10, 25, 50 from Mr. Money Mustache type of thing. Um, uh, but what do you think about employer sponsored, um, uh, plans and then, uh, about what, what really should you at a minimum be saving and putting away?
1: Good, good point. I, uh, uh, On that, first of all, uh, you mentioned uh, the minimum being uh, matching. That's what I tell my students. I say, at the very uh, minimum, you want to do matching because if you don't, you're just throwing away free money. I mean, Mm -hmm. that is a given. But as I do with my students, I show them, and this is whenever I go out to speak, I will show them. And this is what I consider time value of money. Also, I'll show them a person that's starting at age 26 and put away, let's just say 10% uh, and with no matching whatsoever and for 10 years at age 36 and just stop. And then a person starting at 36 and the difference is just amazing. Uh, I uh, in class the final exam I have is an open book open calculator and I have the students I say here's the scenario you're age 26 and and you put in this you decide what you want to put in and then we'll have the employer matching we'll have the assumption of what uh, rate of return you're going to have and let's just look at what you will have at age 60 and then the students have the latitude to, to say, well, what if I started at, uh, well, one student said, you know, I put in, I'm younger, and I put it, I started at 24 mm-hmm. instead of 26, and I had an extra million dollars just for those yeah. two years, and That's I crazy. said, bingo. bingo, you made an A on the final. Uh, yeah. it, it is, it's an eye-opener, and, you know, when, all through college, and no one really showed me how I've important it was to invest in your early years whether your early years or in your 30s or 20s or, or even 40 it just makes a world of difference and uh, so I try to show that as kind of a wow factor and um, uh, but if you know if you're older uh, like I do have some students that are older in class and um, I say you know don't don't think that it's just too late you just have to contribute more reduce your debt and And you'll get there, uh, but I wish someone had showed me that that's what I call the time value of money. how important it is to invest the earlier the better and um uh it is it's quite remarkable and i and I share during my talks the uh, calculator that you could use for that, so uh, it's um, I just love it when the light comes on and say, "Oh my goodness." And I wish, I wish my light had come on a little bit sooner. So, I, I, I don't do know why. As Ray Charles once said, a man can only eat so many steaks. But
0: <laughs> I love that. Well, let's let's talk about that. So Denver Nuggets won the NBA Finals last night. Yes, I did. Put, if I had put $100,000 on them in the beginning of the year, it was 20-1 to 1 for that to happen. Everything would have been taken care of in, what, the uh, eight-month season. <laughs> all, all would have been good. Yeah, sure. uh, but but you do talk a little bit about gambling and um, in, in some ways, I feel like managing risk with the house and with the renters insurance all kind of come together. So tell me a little bit about why you put gambling in there um, and then a little bit about uh, risk and how to uh, maybe minimize risk. But also, in some ways, you actually want to maximize risk when you are younger. So I guess uh, gambling too.
1: and risk. Uh well, uh, risk is with us. And, you know, when we're younger risk is involved as far as investing and you want to be riskier. When I say riskier, I'm talking about the fluctuations of the stock market mm-hmm. and on average, uh, uh, the stock market does increase over 10% a year and the statistics bear it out. Now it doesn't mean it doesn't go down 30% one year and down another 25% another year, but overall, uh, 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 it is close to ten percent now. Uh, the reason it's risky is because the fluctuations is like a roller coaster, uh, et cetera. Now, on the other hand, the I think unnecessary risk would be something like gambling, uh, and and uh, gambling. First of all, they make, they build those nice buildings in Vegas for a reason, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, and I'm not to say that I I don't I. Whenever I do it is we have a card playing group and somebody will come in. Hey, power, power uh, ball is up to $500 million or whatever. And they said, let's all put a couple of dollars in. Now I will do it just because Mm -hmm. sure enough, I would be the odd man out and everybody else would, um, uh, would do that. So I do it just for the fun of it, but I, I would, I was no pun intended. I would bet I have not done that more than five times in my life.
0: Okay. All right. So, so uh, so a bit uh, staying away from massive risk like that, but tell me a little about housing. We had it kind of a little bit, I think there's an expression, the best time to buy a house is last year. And with interest rates, the way that they've skyrocketed, that's certainly true. But I feel like the the length of time you have to retain a house now for it to make sense uh, right. has gone up, and and we hear over and over again that you should buy a house, not throw away your money with rent. But man, I tell you what, I own three houses, and you know the, those renters are real excited to call me about the roof, or oh, they're yeah. real excited to call me that. Hey, you know the uh, the it, sound, it seems like the uh, the AC's going out, and they're they're excited they don't have to pay for that. So That's tell me strong. a little bit about uh housing and mortgages and renting. And-
1: uh boy, that that is true. Um, and first of all, let me just say that you're too young to re- to remember this. Uh, but back in 79 to 1881, uh mortgage rates were around 18, 18.5%. 17, 17 and a half, 18, a half. So you know, we're looking at right now. I don't, what is the thirty-year? About five or six? I don't even know. It's closer to eight now. On a thirty-year, I could I be wrong. Okay. So well, I'll, I'll double it. check. Well, even if it were eight, that's still historically a lot lower than you know 17, 17. Yeah,
0: seven point four. That's what it is.
1: And um, so, um, see, so it's. I learned something today. I didn't. I didn't know it was up to seven point four. So. Um, but here, here's the thing, I, you know, I think there's a rule of thumb out there. If you don't think that you'll stay in a house uh, five years, if you heard somewhere along that, it's probably not a, a good deal. And there are worse things than renting. I'll tell you, if, I'm, if I, I'm amazed at how many students are in pharmacy school that have a house. And all I could think of is, boy, you know, we have built three houses. And, you know, obviously they were new when we moved in. But there's still things you have to pay for, and there's maintenance issues. Even though they're uh, uh, newly built houses that come up, there's all we're always spending money. And I know in the long run uh, we'll get that money back, but uh, uh, there's just a, a, a lot of money issues. And I'd say if you're not going to be there for in that location a certain amount of time, uh, then you should rent. It's there's a lot less pressure. Uh, and my daughter, she's, this in Los Angeles. She is wanting to buy a house so bad. And you in the Los Angeles area, boy, you're talking about a million dollars as a starter house almost.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, that's right.
1: Uh, it's just, uh, it's, it's crazy. And I said, well, just, let's just wait. Let's just wait and see, you know, where you're going to land and, and, and whatnot. So, uh, you know finding the as you'd mentioned before um uh, in an email to me finding the right house at the right time uh, is and the right mortgage is so important and um but you know what it's like with having um uh, three houses is that your uh primary plus your two rentals
0: yeah mhm okay yeah and i and i'm seeing two markets cuz i one's in the phoenix market and the others are in iowa and then I was very excited as Phoenix just skyrocketed, but right. then Phoenix took a beating—not uh, as bad as California, but uh, it it went down from three fifty to three ten pretty quick. Uh, right. So you know, uh, as you're trying to make you know save a couple thousand dollars each month, and you just lose forty thousand, and then you oh, kind you of go back. You didn't, to, you didn't lose. You, it. I didn't lose it. Yeah, you can go back to Buffett. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't lose any money. I didn't. I didn't lose it. It's gone up and down, but I didn't lose it. Right. So I,
1: I know, I know, and it's the uh, same way with your. Uh, and I tell my students, I said, you're going to get to a point with your 401k when the market goes down 30, percent and you had 500,000 in your 401k. Now you have 350,000, and you're looking for my cell phone or email to get, <laughs> and, I, I, and and I'll have to t- walk you off the ledge. But let me just say that, hey, you, what you you don't lose it until you sell and um, then if you sell you're locking in your losses forever so uh, you know at least for stocks you want to hold out now i don't know particular housing and housing markets but gee this housing market is uh, just about any place you go except for some um, inner city uh, housing places that you've gotten their, their money back
0: yeah, but to your original
1: sure. point there's a, just a lot of uh, expenses and, um, and rental dwellings. And I have a former student. He is 36 years old. And he just bought his own pharmacy last year. And he has 40 residential rental units. Wow. I know. Good for him. <laughs> yes. But he has a property management company as okay. well. Okay.
0: That would so be helpful.
1: That that makes uh, a big difference. But um, he comes in and speaks to my class uh, each semester, and because um, some, you know, some people are interested in that, and and all power to them. But I'm, I'm kind of like you, you know, I don't like it when my toilet goes out, so I can't imagine having to work on those. I'd have to have a property manager or or uh, get get marriage counseling. <laughs> okay. It's like building a house, boy. Yeah, you right. Your marriage is on the line.
0: Well, let's let's talk about the the opposite then. Let's talk about giving that money away. You talk about Alfred Nobel in your book, yes. Um, but tell me a story about giving because I think uh, it's especially in this time where it's inflation. How am I going to pay the bills? We're putting groceries on the on the credit card. Uh, Congress just decided that we are going to start paying our student loans, and there's three years of graduates who've never paid a student loan uh, who are all of a sudden going to going to meet that. Uh, in October or September here. Uh, right. but tell me a little bit about the the importance of of giving because uh, you know, hoarding it doesn't really provide the satisfaction I think a lot of people do. And you kind of talked about the number of stakes a little bit earlier.
1: right, right. Well, and, and there's a time and place uh, for it as well. I know that uh, uh, a lot of people uh, consider giving uh, uh, to church or uh, wherever you uh, place of worship whatever percent, regardless of what stage in your life. And there are rewards associated with that, spiritual rewards, et cetera. And and, and there'll be a time and place for most pharmacists, uh, especially those that um, you know follow the tenets that we talked about today. Eventually, they'll have, trust me, they'll have more money than they can uh, uh, know what to deal with. Assuming that they don't follow the... Um, you know buy everything we can uh, uh, you know the materialism etc uh, mm-hmm. you know if they if they stay away from that they'll have they'll have money to give away and I tell you it's it, it and it quite frankly it is a selfish um, a selfish uh, method that I that I'm doing because you know I want to be remembered I've endowed two scholarships and given to the Arkansas Pharmacists Association for the building program. And whether it's a name on a plaque or recognition, it just makes me feel good. And it's a win-win. And um, that's why I finished off the book. I tell you, it's like someone says, and I don't know if it was Dave Ramsey or who said it, but, you know, if you don't know anybody else, just think of what all you can do. And that's mm-hmm. the case. Uh the things that you can do out there, whether it's helping family or um a, a, a church or a place of worship or whatever, it is um it is a good feeling that you're able to help out. And you know, um uh, it does feel good. It really does. And like I said, it it's not necessarily um one sided there. It is a win win.
0: Okay. Yeah. I think that's a great way to end it. Well, I asked you a bunch of questions. Is there any last point that you may want to make or make sure people know? I'll make sure to put the book in the show notes. Um, but uh, I think we've covered quite a bit.
1: Well, only thing way I would say, and I know a uh, majority of your uh, listeners are, are either in residency, or considering residence, mm-hmm. or were in residency. Mm-hmm. You know, there's don't put just an uh, economic uh, pencil to it. Because you're doing something that you really wanted to do and that was necessary for your career, and uh, and I know that you may think that you're behind the curve a little bit on the time value of money and contributing, uh, but there's the easy. I mean, I say easy. Uh, there's a simple path, kind of with the book that we were talking about. A yeah, simple, simple
0: path to wealth. Path. Yeah,
1: yeah, simple path Ooh. of uh, catching up and you know, it happens all, all the time. I saw something the other day, which is really scary and not mean to hold you, but I just thought 51% in a recent survey of those making over a hundred thousand are paycheck to paycheck. And I can, I can tell you, I can look at every one of those and analyze what they own, what they owe and what they make. And I can, I can figure out why they're in that 51%. So, um, hopefully unfortunately none of my students or any of your listeners will be in that uh, position but um, uh, but anyway i' I'll, I'll leave it at that and hey I do appreciate this uh, 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 being a part of your uh, listening group well I,
0: I appreciate you coming on I do love your stories and uh, I'm a very slow reader that's why I asked about the audiobook and it's just a lot easier when I've got a lot of drive time uh, taking the kids to what they're they need to go to uh to listen to it so maybe one day
1: maybe,
0: maybe. one day we'll find somebody And
1: wherever Jeff Foxworthy calls me to- <laughs> and he will uh he'll, he'll put a spin or two on it
0: well I'd I'd love to hear that he uh he was actually at homecoming when I was there in 1992 at Gator Growl oh and I that's when he was uh first making his mark and uh oh. Well, if your family tree does not branch, all right.
1: <laughs> and, you know, interesting story about him. I think he was uh, was he an engineer by training. I don't remember <laughs> what he was. I just know he's I a really that. smart guy that I makes off as somebody engineer. that isn't. And decided that uh, uh, comedy was his way. I I keep acting like my students. Uh, sometimes I act like they're my uh, audience on a cruise ship, and and I interact with them. Uh, funny stories. So sometimes I think I'm a comedian on a cruise ship, but hey, we got to always dream about something.
0: They say he worked on mainframes. So son of a gun, so did my dad. That's really cool. I'll have to check that out. All right. Well, Joe Bacon, thanks so much for coming on the Pharmacy Residency Podcast.
1: Appreciate it, Tony. Thank you.
0: This has been the Pharmacy Residency and Money Podcast, a member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. You might want to check out our available residency audiobooks at pharmacyresidencypodcast.com forward slash books, or you can get your first book free if you've never been on Audible before. You can work one-on-one with me to get a better residency that will better suit your career, health, and wealth at residency.teachable.com. Feel free to send an invite to Tony D on LinkedIn or
1: email me at TonyThePharmacist at gmail.com. Music was by Policy.